Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, and uh, tonight we are in for an amazing show. I can't wait to uh, get into it. In fact, that's just what we're going to do. I want to introduce my guest. This is Christy Johnson, and we're going to let this story unfold as we move forward and just start to talk. So I'm not going to preempt anything with uh, backstory. We're just going to talk together, and as we go, it will unfold and I think you're going to find uh, the conversation more than fascinating. So uh, here we go. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, thanks for coming and being an exclusive for Heart of the Matter. She has the New York Times. She has the Washington Post. She has uh, every newspaper in America. She has John DeLynn pounding on her door <laughs> saying, let me interview you. And, uh, I mean, we got to her first. There's a reason. There's a reason that we got to her first, and that will come out. Christy, tell us uh, about your life. Go back to, like, like Steve Martin. I was born. Uh, uh, go back and just tell your life okay. uh, up to the time that uh, you uh, were called on the LDS mission. Sure. All right. Let's sum that up. Um, I was born in Provo, Utah. My dad was attending Brigham Young University as a student, and my mom and him just had my brother Kevin, and then there was me. Um, and I was just a little girl in Provo, Utah, raised Mormon. Um, and my dad was hired on to the church education system. And back then, uh, you had to be interviewed by a general authority to become, to work for the church. and. So I was really, you know, proud of that. Mm -hmm. And um, we lived in Ogden, and we lived in Provo again, and we lived, you know, we kind of moved a lot. Mm -hmm. But he taught in seminary at first, mm -hmm. in the seminary buildings. And I, I guess in Utah, it's affiliated with the high school. Mm -hmm. So you get some school credits mm -hmm. to help your graduation from high school. Um, so... Then at one point, our family moved to Provo, Utah. And from my, Ogden. From Ogden to Provo. Mm -hmm. to Provo. And we were in the Provo 18th Ward. Hmm. And uh, my dad was put into the bishopric. And I was super proud of that. I remember that being one of the first callings that I was like, all right, my dad's a leader now. And um, he also uh, was uh, called, not called, but his new position with the uh, BYU was to teach at BYU. Wow. So he was called to teach in the religion department at Brigham Young University, mm -hmm. and he had an office there, mm -hmm. which he actually shared with Joseph McConkie. No kidding. Yeah. Big names. Big names. Mm. In fact, uh, Dallin H. Oaks was the president of BYU during that time. Wow. And in my dad's faculty picture in the yearbook, he shows Joe McConkie and my dad and wow. you know, all these guys. And then, you know, it's all about Dallin Oaks being the president hmm. of the university. And so um, I loved that. And we got to go to BYU all the time. Hmm. My dad took us down to his office. Um, we got to go into all the like basketball games hmm. and um the big basketball player during that time's name was Kreshmer Chosix. Mm. Tall guy, and I always remembered his name. We would go to the out or the indoor swimming pools 
And I saw him once and my dad introduced me to him oh. and he just, you know, he's super tall and I was just like mesmerized because I had seen him play basketball. And that was a really big deal for me. And then at the basketball games, uh, the Cougarettes would come out and I knew right then and there, that's what I wanted to do with my life. Wow. I wanted to grow up and be a Cougarette. Wow. And that as a little child was my goal. Whoa. You had high aspirations. I did. Wow. I was like, I'm that's what I'm my like, dad, I want to be a cougarette. So that was my big, you know, thing in life. And um to teach at BYU was your dad a PhD then? Did he did he, he did not have his doctor's degree. He had finished, I believe, his master's degree. Okay. Um, and they had hired him, but he was working on his doctorate. Mm -hmm. And I don't know which one was published by BYU. I think it was his master's degree or his doctorate. They actually published it and it's in uh, the BYU Library, and it's also part of the L. Tom Perry collection, mm. along with Gustav Larsson or something. Oh, yeah. It's part of his collection, oh, my wow. dad's writings, mm. and so it's Was in this library. Is that on the history of Mormonism in Salt Lake? Um, it's on, uh, if you look up my dad's name mm -hmm. on Google, if you Google Melvin K. Johnson, mm -hmm. it'll actually bring up um, his writings on the, the Salt Lake City Temple and all the history of that, or oh. not the temple, the town, what's it, what do you call downtown Salt Lake? Temple Square. Temple Square. Mm. So he wrote this big, uh, very good history of it, and so they actually published it. Wow. And um, it was so accurate, and they did all these things. So, um, you know, that was a big deal for us. Sure. And so it's funny because I, you know, going back when my dad taught seminary, I would go to his seminary building after I think kindergarten or first grade, walk over to the building mm. and uh, sit in his classroom while he would teach. Mm. And sometimes he would let me, you know, draw on the chalkboard, mm. you know, while he taught. And then other times I would sit amongst the students and he'd give me a piece of paper and a big black magic marker. And um, I just remember being very proud of him mm. and saying like, that's my dad, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I noticed that people around us, even at BYU, um, they were very in awe of my father, mm -hmm. and I loved that, mm -hmm. and as a kid, I really took that, I internalized that, and it was almost like this badge of honor for me, Sure. and so at school, when I was a little kid in school, I had all this inner confidence and there was, uh, in one of the grades I was in, I think it was second grade, I, um, we were in the school play, and it was a musical, and I was a bear, and the, the main girl on the day of the performance was sick, and she had all the main parts. And so I saw the teachers in a commotion, and they're like, what are we going to do? Oh, my gosh. And I, and I went over to them, and I said, I can do the part. Hmm. And they're like okay and I go no I know all the parts and the teacher goes okay come with me so she took me in this room and I literally did every part including the music of the lead singer wow. and the lead person so she went back in and told the teachers we're good she can do it mm -hmm. and so I performed in front of the school and uh, it went great and I was just this little teeny kid and I thought I was awesome. And it was weird because I didn't feel stuck up. Mm. I just had this inner thing in me that I, I could do it. Mm. You know, like, hey, let me take care of that crisis for you. And I'll step in and be the star. Excellent. And I loved it. 
So how many uh, children in the family total? I don't, uh, right now you're at B- back from Ogden to BYU. Your dad's right. teaching. It's Kevin. It's you. Are there others? Yeah. My older brother, Kevin. It was Kevin, uh, myself. My brother, Kim, was born in Ogden. My sister, Corey, was born in Ogden. My brother, Kyle, was born in Ogden. And then my youngest sister, Kathy, uh, was born while we lived in Provo. In fact, the day my dad was being put into the bishopric, mm. my mom was pregnant with Kathy and went into labor. Wow. And so they had to, she was doing this little thing t- up to the let them know, like, as they're sustaining my father, like, <laughs> I'm, you know, five minutes apart in pain, so mm. we got to go to the hospital. So they set my dad apart, and my mom went to the hospital and had my little sister that night. So it sounds like uh, church, very central in your life. Extremely. It was everything. Family home evenings, every Monday night. Loved them. My dad even had us keep, like, minutes. Like, oh. this is the opening song. Kim history. gave the prayer. Mm. You know, like, our lesson this evening was about, you know, literally. Wow. Uh, in fact, we would have game night uh, where we would uh, play. Johnson's we did Pictionary Ailes. before it was even Pictionary. In fact, what was funny is our brother, my brothers and sisters, we made up this character called Jonamo Bay that we created on paper that we would draw these funny faces and be like, that's Jonamo Bay. Mm. And I'm like, I, it was just a funny thing with us kids. We just loved each other, played together, loved mm. our family. But we were all about the Mormon church. You know, we knew how to be in primary. We were very well behaved. Socioeconomically, did you feel like you guys were kept at par with uh, the culture you lived in, or did you feel yeah. subpar? Or? No, I felt very par. Oh, wow. Yeah, we always, we never lived in an apartment. Mm. We always had a home. Mm-hmm. I think my parents rented the homes, mm-hmm. um, but we always had homes with bedrooms. You know, I, I do know at one point, I'll tell you one thing. I'm sorry, I'm wiping my mouth. Hold on. Um, there was a part where we didn't. I didn't realize, my parents didn't come across like they were struggling, so we didn't realize till later on like how really poor we were, mm. but they never made us think that way. Mm. Um, there was a story of my brother Kevin, because him and I were a year and a half apart, and there was a night uh, that we heard our parents, my mom was crying, and she told my dad, we don't have enough money for food mm. for the rest of the month. Mm. And my brother Kevin and I heard that. Well, you know, I didn't think much of it. Well, what happened um, is about two weeks later, uh, my mom picked us up from school and my brother Kevin got in the car and he handed my mom all this change because back then uh, your lunch was a quarter. And he handed her like a big thing of these quarters. And she said, honey, where'd you get that money? And he said... I don't want our family to go hungry. Mm. So I've been going without lunch every day. Mm. And he said, so here's the money, mom. Mm. And I remember just sitting there and my mom started bawling because she was unaware that we had heard the, the conversation. But Kevin took it so seriously and wanted to take care of the family. And, you know, years later, you know, especially after, and we'll get to that uh, when he passed, uh, I remember that story because I was in picturing in my mind this little kid sitting at lunch with everybody, going without food, knowing that he was going to help his family. And he did it for a couple weeks, you know, but that's the kind of man he was. You know, that speaks a lot to Kevin. 
It certainly does. Yeah. So from Provo, you're there, your dad's teaching, your sister is being born during his getting into the bishopric. Yeah. What happens from there geographically? You moved to? We, uh, my dad was uh, reassigned to California and we didn't want to move from Utah, but they promised that we would be near Disneyland. Mm. And so that prompted, and then they kept telling us, oh, it's sunny and bright. <laughs> and you know, the day we moved there was rainstorm. <laughs> so we thought they were lying. Uh, you know, we're yeah. like, you're big liars. Um, but so we moved to uh, Glendora, California. Oh, okay. And my dad was an institute teacher at that point. And we were only there, I think, fifth and sixth and seventh grade, I was there. Mm -hmm. We lived there. Still going to church in that ward, which was Glendora Fourth Ward. My dad was again put into the bishopric, and um, so he's always up on the stand, you mm -hmm. know. And um, then we were there, like I said, till seventh amazing grade. To me, you can remember the wards you were in. I remember that. You know, it's ward. a curse almost. Yeah. But I remember so much stuff mm -hmm. from the time I was a very little girl, mm -hmm. minute details, people's names, mm -hmm. um, and it is a blessing in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so Glendora Fourth Ward, he was made uh, in the bishopric. That was a very big deal. And I thought I was fitting in with the primary kids and I was cool and starting to get into young women's, you know, Mary Miss and all that. So then um, he was assigned to California, or we were already in Glendora. Then um, we got word that we were moving to Orange County. Mm which was Westminster, California. Mm -hmm. And that's the actual, that's the first time my parents bought a home. Mm -hmm. All the homes we had lived in throughout our whole life. Mm -hmm. And we moved a lot for, and I don't understand, I didn't understand at the time why we kept moving to different homes within the same cities. Mm -hmm. um, but we ended up moving to Westminster. Uh, they bought their home there. In fact, uh, Val Palmer, who was a stake president in Huntington Beach South Stake at one time was the realtor. So wow, yeah, That's so small world. yeah, so they purchased that house and uh, four bedroom, two story pool, gazebo, dishwasher. I mean, I thought we had hit the lotto. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so right when we moved in, um, my parents uh, left for Israel for a month, and uh, my dad's. Mother stayed with us. She's not, wasn't all that nice, but she stayed with us. She was quite a character. Um, and I'm going to tell you a funny story. When my parents were in Israel, my mom is beautiful, green eyes, dark hair. She had been the first runner up to Miss Bell Gardens, you know, was a homecoming princess, just gorgeous mm. in her day. And so when they went to Israel, you know, I guess green eyes are unusual there. Mm. And so there was literally a gentleman that came up to my father and offered him 17 camels for my mother. Wow. And you know what my dad told him? Hmm. Let me think about it. <laughs> so my mom's like freaking out. Like, and the guy wants to know where they're staying. Wow. And my dad tells them the hotel. Wow. The next morning, the guy shows up with 23 camels. And my dad said, no, I think I'll keep her. Wow. And he's like, do you have daughters? And I'm like, I'm not ever going to Israel because he probably sold me or something. But anyway, that was the big story when they came home that this literally had happened. How old were you when you moved to Westminster? I was 13. I was just going into 
eighth grade. I see. So I went to Johnson Junior High, which is funny because that's my last name. So I told everybody that was my uncle. Wow. Yeah. Thought you it just was really cool. knew how to, to get in there I just and worked get popular, it and didn't I, you? <laughs> so so uh, now you and I have commonality at mm -hmm. this point in your life because, uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California too, mm -hmm. in your neighboring city. Yeah. And we knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just just to get this on the record, I always thought that you were uh, a very pretty girl. Thank you. And I always thought you were very nice. Yeah. Thank and you. uh, you're a very nice, pretty girl, which made me not go after you because I, I, I had to go after the ones who were pretty and not nice. <laughs> so, but anyway, you were always the, the Molly Mormon to me. You know what? I was a Molly Mormon. You were a Molly Mormon, yeah. As Molly Mormon as you can get. Yeah. And we met later teen years, I think. I think I was more, you said young adult. I was think it was more 17, 18. Yeah. But that's young adult, I guess. Yeah, we were kind of, yeah. And then we would be at the same firesides yeah. and then the dances. Dances. But yeah, and then I think we would see each other all the time at different events. Uh -huh. So Southern California, your life in the church and in the family, how's that going? Your dad is CES awesome. there, North right. Stake. Yeah, he was, um, when we moved into the Westminster First Ward in the Huntington Beach Stake, they had just split it, so we became the Huntington Beach North Stake, but my mm -hmm. dad was in the bishopric again, mm. um, and then when the the, the stake split, um, he was back in the bishopric, and then at one point he was called to be on the high council mm. under uh, President Wesley Woodhouse. Woodhouse. He was our, our stake president. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, but my dad served as a counselor to Bishop Norman Rich, loved the man, um, and then under Gerald Anderson, hmm. and then he became a high council member. Did you do early morning seminary? Four years. Four, graduated? Graduated. In fact, I got a scholarship from seminary. A sc a sc how did you do that? I did, and I think it's because of who my dad was. Because one, I was really smart, but you know my grades were okay, but I knew that they were straight A students also, but we, I put in for a scholarship because it was, I think one of the first years they were giving out these scholarships mm. in seminary in our stake. And so there were three, going to be three winners, and they announced them during graduation. Mm. So when they called my name, you know, I was in shock, but I was excited. And it gave me money to go to Golden West College, you know, mm. and pay for some of my books. But yeah, I thought that was cool. But I later found out that the people who decided to give that was the high council members. Mm -hmm. You know, and my dad claimed, well, they asked me to walk out of the room, mm -hmm. why they made the decision, and I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure they did. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, but I was, I was very pleased and very grateful for that. So did uh, your dad being in CES, he was never your uh, teacher, right? Uh, seminary teacher? He was not my seminary teacher because when we went to California, he was teaching an institute program. Institute program. Seminary was only in Ogden. Okay. Okay. So he was the director at Golden West Institute, mm -hmm. and then he was also... At Santa Ana Institute, I think Orange Coast College, one for Chapman University. I can't remember, but he was all over Orange County. And as a, as, was my assessment of you correct? That Absolutely. you were an attractive Molly Mormon well, girl? Come well, on, say you. it. Well, say yeah, it. I was. All right. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny. I tried out for Miss Teenage America, too. Wow. Because I, I really thought I was cute. But no, I was very Molly Mormon. But I mean, I tried to do stuff with my life because I really yeah. believed in me. And so I thought I could get a scholarship or something. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, I didn't make it past the testing stage. Mm. 
you know, but um, but it was still something that was prestigious. I got a letter from him, wow. you know. In high school, were you a good student? Yeah, mm -hmm. I was a good student. I, I had some problems in my ninth grade year. I suffered a little bit, but I, I overall, I got some really good grades and... I, um, we had the Mormon bench yeah, oh, at yeah. Westminster High School sure. that was smack dab in the middle. And all the popular kids at the school were Mormon. Mm. So you had the football players, you had the cheerleaders, mm. you had the smart kids, you had everybody was always at the Mormon bench and it was all the, the popular kids. Wow. So I automatically was in with the popular because these are kids from my ward and my stake. Mm. We just kind of ran the school. Wow. And that was awesome. And how long did the Johnson family stay in Westminster? Uh, forever till uh, two thousand. Or let me see, till nineteen eighty-seven. So you moved there in like seventy-three. We moved there in seventy-five or six. Okay. I remember the bicentennial was happening. Okay, so about so I think it was seventy-six. Years. Yeah. Okay, and <clears> then <throat> you from the uh, from that stake from that ward went on a were called to a mission. Yes, I, yes. And, I, and was, to go on a mission, you had to be 21? Yeah, the girls did back then. Did you always want to go on a mission? No. What led you to want to do it? Well, you know, my first, I, and this is odd, and I'll tell you why later, but I have two patriarchal blessings. Whoa. Yeah. My first one I got when I was 14. And so in that patriarchal blessing, it talked a lot about missionary work. You know, and I just kind of was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be married I, first, you know, because my whole goal in life at that point was to get married, find my husband, you know, who is he? So, because that's a big deal in the church, sure. your eternal companion. So literally when I would go to dances, even as a youth, I would be like, are you the one? Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be looking in guys' eyes, you know, when they'd ask me to dance, like they're going to give me some signal, you know, like mm -hmm. it's me. Mm -hmm. Um but that never happened. And, uh, but that was always my goal is to get married and have children. And that was a very big deal to find my eternal companion. Yeah. And so I didn't plan on going on a mission, but at some point, um, I was dating a lot, but I just felt like it was, I was being called and I was reading my patriarchal blessing and it talked a lot about missionary work. Yeah. And I and it said I'd have an opportunity to teach the gospel. And I said, I think I'm supposed to go on a mission. Mm -hmm. So I prayed about it and I felt good about it and um, put in my papers and um, went. I got called to Chicago. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was funny because my bishop, when he was asking me, like, where would you want to go? And I was like, anywhere with snow, because mm. I miss Utah, mm. you know, because we had the Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. And then the stake president, you know, when I had talked to him, he's like, where do you think you're going to be called to? And I said, you know, I don't know. I'm not that inspired, but why don't you tell me? Mm. And he goes, I believe you'll go to the South Pacific. Mm. And I said, I don't even know where that is, but thanks. Mm. Um, you know, so, but I went to Chicago. Mm. So. And uh, by the way, just to let you know that her... Uh, Pollyannish, the one at, at, at the dances and things when you're wandering around the, uh, the ward and you're meeting missionaries and you're looking at them for the girls was perfect uh, hunting ground for guys like me because you'd be at the stake dance dancing with someone you didn't even know and you'd, you'd just look at them and say, are you the one? Yeah. And, and they had an easy makeout session right then and there. I mean, right then and there. You could capitalize on that gig all day long. 
because oh God, the girls were all looking for the one, and all you got to do is make them think they're the one. Boom! There you got it. All right. You know, my mom, when she was a youth, Ed, or when she had joined the church when she was 18, but at one of her dances, this guy actually told her that he had a vision and saw her hand in his dream because when he took her hand to dance, he was like, oh, I had a vision of your hand in my in my dream. It's you. I believe it. And she was like, oh, no, it can't be you. <laughs> Please, not, God, not, not that. you. <laughs> it can't be you. <laughs> but that actually happened. So. so Chicago, the mission, how did you like it? It was a, uh, a shocker mm. to me. Mm. I went out, I mean, I'm telling, I was very prepared. I got my lessons memorized mm. ahead of time. Absolutely loved the MTC. Had a very spiritual experience in the MTC. I remember, you know how they have the bunk beds. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, I was awoken one night. I was, um, there were four of us girls and the door was closed. And I woke up and I felt a presence in the room and there was nobody there and it's dark, but I, I, I could, I was trying to look for something, but there was nobody there, but I felt this presence come towards me and it was very peaceful and I could hear, but not audibly, there was nothing spoken, but what I heard inside my head was, you're just being checked on to make sure you're okay. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I went back to sleep. And in the morning, I remembered that. And I was so taken back because it was very real what happened. And uh, I told my companion and we went and told the teacher and shared it with her. And I just thought that was a really cool experience mm -hmm. that I experienced that in the MTC. Mm, awesome. Uh, and just before we move on to Chicago, um, uh, um, in the city, outside, all around? I was in the suburbs. The, yeah, there was a bad area that they were sending sisters in, mm. that they would only send certain sisters in. Mm. Um, but, and I volunteered. I said, I want to go to the bad area. Mm. And they were like, you're not going to the bad area. Mm. In fact, I'll tell you, when I got off the plane from the MTC, me and my companion adored each other. She was so great, and I love her to this day. But we were there with the other elders, and we came off the plane, and so there's the mission president with his two assistants and his wife. Mm. And he asked us, all the group of missionaries to get together for a picture and we're there at the airport. Mm -hmm. So me and my companion are on the end and here's all the elders. Well, out of nowhere, this group of guys come in and put their arms around me and my companion and get in the picture, like photo bomb it. Mm. And the mission president like snaps the picture and all of a sudden they're like, hey, and they're joking around Well, we find out they're the ski team mm. from some Olympic thing or whatever. And, and I was just like, oh, hey, what's up, you know? And so then the mission president took me aside right there in the airport. And he said, you will never serve with her in the field ever. And I'm like, what happened? And he goes, that was inappropriate. And I'm like, I didn't cause that, you know, but wow. he did not like that. Wow. So I, I right, started right off like I was some kind of. But how did you interpret that as somebody who was really devout and faithful to the church? Did you interpret that as, I'm sorry, president, and, and that you were right and I feel bad? Or no. were you like... No, I think what happened with my dad being who he was in the church, mm -hmm. I had, I don't want to say a cockiness, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like I knew the church, I knew who the leaders were, mm -hmm. and I was like, I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't like 
oh, president, I'm so sorry. It was like, you have a problem. I didn't cause that. Got it. So get yourself together. So, so far, just talking to you and getting to know you even a little bit better, you're kind of tough. I you're, am. You're kind of a tough woman. I got a little bit cocky, though, and I have to tell you this. I'm going to be really honest. Mm -hmm. When my dad was very important in the church, there were people, and I would go with my dad sometimes on his speaking engagements, mm. and when he spoke afterwards, people would literally be in a line mm. to shake his hand. And I hate to admit this, but I absolutely loved that. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's my dad. Mm. You know, and people would be like, is that your dad? Yeah, it's my dad. You know, so I, I in, a, in a weird way, Sean, I kind of like, I was nice and I was a good girl and mm -hmm. I was sweet. But I think in the back of my mind, I had this kind of an ego mm. that I don't think came across, but I knew who I was, I think, a little bit because of yeah. that, too. It's really good that you admit that and, and realize it. A lot of people grow up in the church and never realize that that's part of their makeup. However, from the outside, I never saw that in you, but I didn't know you that well, right. but I never saw that come out. One thing I do know is that the Johnson family for you guys at home, and then we're going to jump uh, back a little bit, is um, Kevin Johnson, your older brother. Uh, that guy was like solid Mormon, man. I mean, we're talking about, he looked more, he looked like sort of, sort of Mitt Romney-ish a little bit. Oh, yeah. He had a clean haircut and a little salt and peppery and just full Peter Priesthood, but very affable and very friendly with people. And uh, he buried a girl that I knew, Sharon, and, and uh, all this stuff. So the Johnson family, even though they were in a different stake, uh, North Stake, they were, they were like that quintessential Mormon family, okay? And I think that she's just portrayed that story. You guys were quintessential. All right. Whatever that means, absolutely. Whatever it means. All right. <laughs> so you come back from the mission one month early because? Uh, for health reasons. I had cysts on my ovaries. And I had gotten into a lot of pain and went to the doctor. And they said I had solid cysts that could only be removed through surgery. And during that time, I had uh, talked to my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, I let her know, look, I'm going to need surgery. I talked to my mission president, mm -hmm. and he said, okay, we'll give you, a, you know, an honorable, obviously, yeah. but we'll release you a month early. Mm -hmm. So what started happening in life when you came back and, and you're, in, you're into young adulthood and what's going on? Do you want when everything kind of started? Why don't you go back through life? Because that's where it, where it changed. That's when things changed. Yeah, why don't you just tell now the other side of the story while all this is going on. In fact, maybe you could even just go back and say, you know, when we were in Ogden, when we were in okay. Provo, then we went to Glendale or uh, Glendora. South Path, Glendora. And then Are you we talking went... about the bad stuff? Yeah, okay. go, go into what was happening that okay. no one else really saw. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to back up first to my Molly Mormon days really yeah. quick. You know, I held callings in every everything. Like I was the beehive secretary, I was the Miami aid counselor, I was the Laurel president. You know, um, when I got into college, you know, they have Lama Delta Sigma, mm -hmm. uh, which is the church's sorority. Mm -hmm. And so I was called to be the president of our chapter. Mm -hmm. And we actually won for all of Southern California. And I got to meet L. Tom Perry. Mm -hmm. And he came out and gave us this big award. 
And then we were sent to Salt Lake City for the huge gathering of all of Lambda Delta Sigma. Wow. And we won. Our little chapter won a big national award. What do you win? What, what are you it winning? It was the Sisterhood Award. It was just this really prestigious thing. So I have these, you know, all these certificates and this like silver plated, whatever engraved. But I have like, you know, these main people of the church's signatures with my name on these awards. So I was very proud of my leadership. We brought a lot of girls in. Um, I didn't make it like a sorority. I wanted it to be more focused like on service. So I never was like, you can't be in, or I wasn't like that. It mm. was like, please come in, mm. you know, and, and um, we just loved each other and it was great. I had a blast. So I was caught up in all the callings and mm. served in all that kind of stuff as well. Mm. So then now you want to get to the real yeah. meaty story. And I want to transition all that you've just said with, something that's very apparent. Okay. Hold your arm out. You can see that something's <laughs> happened here in our, in our story. A third piercing on my you, ear. Three oh pier you got a total of six, which is, which is a horrible infraction. Yes, something I have violated my body. I'm not sure if there's garments under that, but uh -huh. I don't think so. No. You're tatted now. Mm -hmm. You got the thumb rings. Well, that's representing my sister. We wear sister rings. Got it. But something's happened. Yeah. Just like something's happened to me. Mm -hmm. So tell us what happened. Okay. Well, I want to lead up to what kind of brought it all to the surface, if right. I could start there. Yes. I'm on my mission, and uh, I have a month to go. So this is uh, April of 1986. Now, I'm clear out in the boondocks, and uh, we're, we're watching General Conference by satellite. That's what you do. And so I'm with, you know, the congregation, we're watching it. And Gordon B. Hinckley gave a talk. And in that talk, he talked about, um, if anybody within the sound of my voice is a perpetrator or a victim of sexual abuse, you need to go see your bishops immediately. And it was that talk that started me shaking and crying hysterically. Mm. So I excused myself, my companion, I didn't quite know what was going on. I just said, I need the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom in the church and slid down the stall. Wow. And I literally collapsed. I mean, I didn't pass out, but I was sobbing. My body was shaking. I went into this full blown where memories of all everything in my life, like here I was being commanded by an apostle or, you know, in the presidency, whatever that I was to go to my bishop now, and I was like, holy cow, here we go again, like, I've got to do this. I'm now being commanded, it's a direct commandment. Mm -hmm. And um, so it took me a while, nobody came in the bathroom, and I got myself pulled together, and uh, I went back in and sat with my companion, she goes, are you all right? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fine. And I never told my mission president, nothing, and so, um, I flew home and I had immediate surgery. And when I was recovering, we, um, let me back up. When I'm on my mission, I got a call from my mom. And she said, Christy, Corey's run away from home. That's my middle sister. Mm. We can't find her. And I said, okay, I'll pray. And, you know, and, and so two weeks later, my mom called me and she said, we got her back. 
She said, um, what I found out happened is my sister had run away from home and someone had put her up in a hotel and she was 14 or 15 at the time and she had slit her wrist. Mm. And the person that found her wrapped her wrists and took care of her and then called my mom two weeks later and my sister met with my mom and said, Mom, I will only come home if you promise to never leave me home with Dad. Mm. And my mom promised her she wouldn't, but she didn't keep that promise. So now I'm coming home in a few months. And um, so this talk happened with Gordon B. Hinckley. I'm coming home for my mission now with this knowledge that I've got to report again. and I have my surgery, and while I'm in recovery, and it was an outpatient, so I wasn't bedridden or anything, um, my middle sister, Corey, asked me and my mom to go to the doctor with her. And when we went to the doctor, he came out and told Corey she was pregnant. Oh. And it was very upsetting. And I just remember putting my arm around her, and I said, oh, we'll get through this. You know, whatever you want to do, we'll get through this. And my mom was very loving to her and everything. And so when we got home, you know, my mom told my dad and my dad, you know, he had a temper anyway, but he went berserk. I mean, I have never seen this kind of reaction. And he jumped up and down, literally threw stuff all over the house, was beat red. And he's like, we need to show her that she's a whore and show her what kind of person she is in the Bible, and she better know who she is, and, you know, was just insane that she got pregnant. And I was just like, holy cow. And then as soon as he started saying that to her, like calling her names, I said, Corey, in the car, and I took her for a ride. And I go, I'm going to tell you something. He's an asshole. Oh, sorry. He's a jerk. And I said, when I was younger, some things happened where dad started touching me. And before I could finish, she starts sobbing. And she's like, Christy, I thought I was the only one. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so we we drove to the house. We talked to our mom. And my mom said, oh, I was a victim, too. And we were like, oh, okay. Um, She said, talk to Kathy. Now, Kathy, my littlest sister, was only, I don't know, 12 at the time. And my dad hated my sister, Kathy. He literally would not call her by her name, Kathy. He would say, go tell her to come to dinner or to come to the table. And so she goes, my mom said, can you ask Kathy if dad's been touching her? And I go, well, dad hates Kathy. I doubt he would be doing that. She goes, we'll ask her anyway. So I spent the night in Kathy's room that night and I actually put a a chair in front of her bedroom door. And she looked at me and I said, I I want to talk to you. So I started to tell her, like, you know, when I was younger, some things happened and she started crying. She said, I thought I was the only one. And I'm like, oh no, Kathy. And I said, when's the last time dad touched you? She said, "Um, just a couple weeks ago, right before you came home off your mission. And so she went into detail of what he had done. And so we went to our mom 
the next morning and my mom goes, that's it, get in the van. Took us all over to the state president's office. Mm. And my dad was on the high council. Mm. Took us over to the state president's office. And there we let him know what had happened to us. And he was not nice. No. He didn't believe us. No. He didn't mm -hmm. believe you? No, not at all. Was this Woodhouse? Can yep. You say? Mm -hmm. Wow. Wesley Woodhouse. And so when we got back in the van, uh, where my mom got back in the van, uh, she was crying, hysterical, you know. And so she said, I'm supposed to meet up with your dad for lunch. And so we were like, okay. So we went back to the house, uh, my sisters and I, and uh, my sister Kathy, Corey, and me, and my little brother Kyle was with his friends at the time. My brother Kim was actually on his mission in Guatemala. Mm. And Kevin was married at the time with a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. So we called our brother Kyle over and we took him for a ride to the park. And we said, you know, we told him what dad had been doing. He, he started crying, but he said, you know, all these years, dad told me that mom was crazy. Mm -hmm. And that she had a problem and not to believe anything she said. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, now if you want, I can skip. Did you yeah. want me to continue so, on? Yeah, that? but uh, yeah, let's, uh, we'll go back now, but... Uh, I can't believe you go to the stake president. You're a return missionary. Mm -hmm. And that's a status in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Recently returned missionary. Right. I Probably maybe a week and a half, two weeks. I've been home. And you have your sister who's had some problems. She ran away. Tried to so obviously suicide. he's tried to commit suicide. So mm -hmm. something's going on with her. Right. And you have the young one, Kathy, who has no reason to lie. Right. And the three of you go to this guy and you tell him and he... He dismisses it. Dismisses it. No, I know your dad. He wouldn't do that. that so here's, I, I need to finish up what happened that night though. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. So we go, we go tell my brother. So we're at the house and my brother's so upset with my dad. This is the one who said, mom, I thought mom was crazy all these years. Kyle. He ripped down one of the lamps that my dad used to study under every night with the scriptures. And that was kind of symbolic for Kyle. And then all of a sudden, you know, my mom had come home and she said, well, I told your dad that, you know, we're talking about it. And he was like, who have you told? That's the only thing my First dad wanted response. to know. Who have you told? And she said, the state president. And he, she said he was pissed. And he got out of the van and went back to do whatever. And my mom came home and told us, hey, we've met with, you know, I, your dad knows that you guys were talking. And that the stake, you know, we talked to the stake president and all of a sudden, so my brother breaks this lamp and we're all in this state of this is bull crap. What are we going to do? So then we have to call Kevin, my brother, Kevin. Now, my brother, Kevin, was always our protector, mm. you know, good guy, but mm -hmm. don't touch his siblings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we called Kevin over to the house and I and I said, Kevin, I have to tell you something. And I explained, you know, which we'll go over later. Um, you know, dad did this to me and the girl, you know, my sisters. And Kevin's response was, huh, literally, mm. that was it. Mm. Okay. And then I'm like, is he in shock? You know, what was that reaction? Mm. And then he left. So we're in the house and then all of a sudden, uh, my mom starts yelling, your dad's coming up in the driveway. And so all my brothers and sisters are running out the back door. They're climbing out back windows. They're running down the street. And I run after them. And I'm like, no, we're not going to run. 
come back. So what we did is we had a side gate to the house. We went and sat under this side gate because we could hear the conversation that my parents were having. Mm. And my mom told my dad, you cannot be here. And he said, um, tell the girls, forget it, that it ever happened. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. You need to leave this house. And he goes, no, you need to tell them to, to just forget it happened. And she goes, I'm going to call the stake president. And my dad goes, go ahead. And so my mom's, all we can hear is the one-sided from her. So she calls the stake president and you hear her say, you know, he won't leave the house. The kids are here. He can't be here. Well, yes, president, I know it's his house too. Yeah, I know these are his kids too. Okay, that's fine, whatever. And then hangs up. And then she looks at my dad and we can hear her say this. Why do you have that big smile on your face? Wow. So I'm like, that's it. I said, I'm going to the police. I told my sisters, I said, I can drop you off somewhere. Or if you want to go with me, they go, no, we want to go make police reports. So we drove down to Westminster Police Department. We, with my brother too, but us girls each got individually interviewed with three separate cops, three separate reports and made these. And then we called our brother, Kevin, um, and he said, go ahead and spend the night at my apartment. I'm over at my in-laws. So we picked up the keys from him, went to his apartment. In the morning, we called my mom and she said, you guys went to the police? And we're like, well, how do you know? And she goes, in the middle of the night, I get a call from Westminster Police Department saying, is Melvin K. Johnson there? And she's like, yeah, what do you need? Well, he's the, uh, we need to come pick him up for questioning. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Our church is going to be handling this. This is a church matter. And the cops say, ma'am, he's been accused of several felonies. We're coming to pick him up. So my mom gets off the phone with the cops and calls the stake president. And the stake president tells my mom, under no circumstances is he to be picked up by those cops. So they hid my father out that night. Okay? So that, so the next morning, oh, when my mom's like, yeah, she'll, she, my mom tells us this. So we're like in shock that she would do that. So she goes, the stake president wants to meet all of you girls this morning. So we go over to the steakhouse and he wants to meet with me first. And he reprimands me and rips me to shreds for going to the police. How dare you? It's a church matter. And I'm like, just sitting there. And um, he's like, don't you feel like, you know, are you sure your dad did this, Christy? I mean, really? Don't you love your father? You're going to need him someday. Right? And he's saying all this, and I'm looking at him like, what is your problem? Like, I never thought, like, yes, President. I was like, there's something wrong with you. And he goes, now, um, I know that you're supposed to report your mission to the High Council tomorrow morning. And I told your dad he could be there because I don't want it to look weird that he's not there. And I said, then I'm not going to report to the mission, my mission to the high council. And he goes, well, I already told him he can be there. And I said, well, I won't be there. But I showed up anyway, and my dad was not there. So I reported my mission as if nothing had been happening the night before, and nothing had happened. was able to report my mission. A couple hours later, I did my homecoming talk. And my brother Kevin goes, you don't have to do it, Christy. And I said, oh, no, my father will not rob me of this moment. I served an honorable mission. Tough chick. And I gave my talk. 
we're out of time oh, gosh. for this first segment. Sorry. It's unbelievable what this uh, friend of mine, sister Christy, has gone through with her sisters, Kathy and Corey, and then the brothers too, uh, Kim and Kevin, and the mother. And the thing that is so absolutely unbelievable about this is the good old boy network mm -hmm. and the protect the frickin' church and to make it an ecclesiastical matter of sin instead of what it was, a felony. Uh, we are going to continue on from that point now here, the other side of how this all happened over these years. And then we're going to get to uh, the most fascinating documentary I've seen in a long time, which I watched last night, which is on this very subject, on this very family. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.